Welcome to Saints. In this podcast, we'll be discovering and discussing fascinating insights to topics and events found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the latter days. This new four-volume narrative is a history of the Restoration. You can also read it and all the material we'll be discussing today on LDS.org or on your Gospel Library app. And now, Saints. I'm Ben Godfrey, and today I'm joined with Scott Hales, one of our story editors on The Saints Project. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. Also today with us, we have Angela Hallstrom, who is also a story editor on The Saints Project. Welcome, Angela. Glad to be here. Thank you. And Angela is is here from out of town, so we appreciate you for for traveling in and and taking an opportunity to visit with us today. Our topic today is Chapter 5, All is Lost. Scott, before we dive in, give us a little bit of a recap. Where are we in the story and and where are we going next? So when Chapter 5 begins, uh, Joseph and Emma uh, are in Manchester living with his his parents. Joseph has just received the, the gold plates. And uh, he's kind of in this weird place where he's got the plates and he's got the interpreters, the Urim and Thummim, and he wants to be able to spend as much time as he can with the plates and with the interpreters. He wants to begin translation. But he's got pretty much two problems. The first problem is that he has no idea how to do this thing. He has no idea how to translate. He's got these cool new devices, but he just... He can't do anything. Uh, he, he's just trying to figure it out. To make matters worse is he is not able to show them to anyone. He's got to keep them hidden all the time, not just because they're sacred, but also because there are a lot of people in town who want to get them. So he's being hounded night and day by people who are trying to find uh, these these objects. Let, let's listen, in fact, to just a, a one little clip here from, from the book that talks about this process. He knew the interpreters were supposed to help him translate the plates, but he had never used seer stones to read an ancient language. He was anxious to begin the work, but it was not obvious to him how to do it. Angela, what, what does that mean? It wasn't obvious to him. I mean, we've seen the pictures, right? He's just supposed to put them on and read. That's not how it works. And, <laughs> and I think one of the themes that I, that I am coming across as I read saints and think about it is that, that God wants us to learn how to do things. He allows us to be a little uncomfortable. He does not just lay everything out in front of us. Um, We have to work to learn. And Joseph has a gift. He is someone who is growing into his prophetic role, but he must learn himself how to use this gift. Um, and that, that's a very striking part of this chapter to me. Absolutely. It, it's, it's really clear that um, it's line upon line, precept upon precept. You know, this is a theme that we get all throughout uh, Saints Volume 1. A- as he begins to do this, so he's, he's starting the translation process, who's helping him? Uh, so it's just him and Emma, and he doesn't have a lot of time with these, with these objects. Uh, like I said, he's He's, he's being hounded all the time, but he also doesn't have uh, much money. He, he's just a, he's a, he's a newlywed. He's got to support his family, uh, his wife, so he's, he's out working. And he doesn't really have the money uh, to, to kind of just sit back and, and work on this translation. So what happens is uh, he meets a man named uh, Martin Harris uh, through his mother. His mother, uh, I mean, he's, he's known Martin Harris for a while. He, he lives... Uh, nearby their neighbors. Martin is a very wealthy man. 
Uh, he's a successful farmer. He's the same age as Joseph's parents. Anyway, he, he, uh, Martin becomes interested in the plates through uh, talk, talking with Lucy Mack Smith, Joseph's mother. And, uh, but he's very skeptical about the story. I mean, if you think yeah. about it, this is a pretty amazing story, a pretty fantastic story. And he's not sure if he believes. He, he wants to help. He wa- if this is the Lord's work, uh, he wants to be able to, to do all he can for it. But he's just not sure if he wants to invest his money, his farm, his reputation in this young man. And so he begins to uh, ask questions. He begins to interview Joseph. He begins to interview his family members. Let's pause there for just a second. I want to I go back to one piece about Emma and when she was working with uh, Joseph as a scribe. Um, in, in this clip from the book, we're going to hear what Emma thought about this. Emma marveled that her husband's lack of knowledge in history and scripture did not hinder the translation. Joseph could hardly write a coherent letter. Yet hour after hour she sat close beside him while he dictated the record without the aid of any book or manuscript. She knew only God could inspire him to translate as he did. So, Angela, you probably know your husband pretty well. Yes, I do. Uh, what must have it been like? What do, you, what do you think of this moment when Emma's seeing Joseph doing stuff? She, she knows it's not Joseph. Well, one thing I think is interesting is the quote in the book that says that Joseph could not dictate a coherent letter. That is directly quoted from Emma herself. Right. Um, so she she knows, you, you know your husband better than anyone else does. And she knows his gifts, but she also knows his limitations. So I am sure that it was miraculous for her to see what was happening. And I also love thinking of them as a young couple, they were both so young, in their early 20s, working together to to produce this, that, that she was his wife and his partner by his side, helping him as he learned about his prophetic gift. Um, and I think that scribe role is more than just someone who takes dictation. Right. She was an essential partner for him. Um, and that's important, I think, for people to understand. I love the fact that the history in saints helps us remember that Emma did have such mm-hmm. a critical critical role mm-hmm. throughout the process, but in particular here at this moment when they're translating the Book of Mormon. Back to Martin Harris. He's a, he is a very uh, wealthy, or at least he's a, a, an important landowner in the area. He's, he's come to, to learn a little bit more about it. Um, I have to tell you guys, I'm from a little town called Clarkston, Utah. Clarkston, Utah is the place where Martin Harris is buried. Um, after he came here to Utah, he came there to live with his son. And as a kid, I was in the Clarkston pageant. <laughs> uh, I've, been, I've been dying for, to talk about this for this episode. <laughs> I was in it for seven years, nice. at least 10 performances <laughs> per year. So I have literally acted this story out at least 70 times. <laughs> You're the expert. And, <laughs> well, I, I'm the expert at the show. And after we stop recording, I'll sing you some of the songs. No, I, I think you should I, do that now. I promise. <laughs> I promise I won't do that. But, you know, Martin's story is important to me um, because actually on his, on his deathbed, basically, in the little town of Clarkston, he continued to give his testimony. And my direct line um, great-great-grandfather was there and received and wrote an affidavit that he had heard Martin's testimony. Mm-hmm. But I'm getting way ahead of the story here. 
Martin hasn't given his testimony as a witness. He, here he is. He's a neighbor. Yes, and I think I think one of the things that impresses me a lot about Martin Harris is that he he wasn't a ready believer. He really needed to find out for himself that this work was true, uh, and he was he was very skeptical. And 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 we kind of see this throughout his life is that he he always maintained a bit of a, a healthy skepticism, and he was always um, searching for confirmation. Uh, and what we see with uh, what we see here in chapter five is that after he's interviewed people, after he's kind of asked questions and looked around, uh, he goes to the Lord and he and he prays and he asks for for uh, some sort of signs, some sort of indication that this is that this is the truth, and he gets it. And as soon as he gets that, uh, he he loans Joseph money. He helps him get um, moved down to Harmony, uh, down uh, to Pennsylvania, to live with Emma's parents. Uh, and so he does a lot to get the Book of Mormon translation rolling. He solves a lot of Joseph, Joseph's problems, a lot of his concerns, yeah. gets him out of debt, gets him down to where he it, can it does, peacefully translate. It does feel like he's an all-in kind of guy, right? Yeah, like he, definitely. After he has the witness, like he's, he's there. Joseph comes into town, and, and Martin holds up the $50 and says, I'm giving this to Joseph freely. Yeah. And we're going to learn more about that later. But yeah, and, and 50 bucks. That's at a lot that of money. Time, it yeah. was it was huge. Yeah. Uh, it, Joseph was able to settle his debts and and uh, and off they go to Harmony. Later, as they begin some translation efforts, there are some characters that are copied. Angela, tell us a little bit about this part of the story. Where do these characters come from, and and what's Martin interested in doing with them? Well, Martin is interested in in basically finding out if these characters are ancient language. Um, and wants to take them to a scholar um, or to find scholars that can help him to validate this. As Scott was saying, he he has these faith-promoting experiences, these spiritual experiences, but he's also looking for outside proof. Um, and I also just want to mention that part of the reason he's looking for outside proof is his wife, Lucy, um, mm-hmm. you know, she she is very skeptical. And and her even more so than he is. Yes, right. she's extremely skeptical, um, and so I think that's also a pressure point for him that he wants to be able to say to his wife, "Okay, look, I'm I'm really not crazy. This really is real," um, which kind of leads to other conflicts down the road. But mm-hmm. that's an interesting part of the story to me. As yeah, well. late, later in the story, Lucy even takes Martin to court, right, and you know basically says you're being defrauded, and and Martin. Martin says, no, I'm not. This is called a spoiler, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to get too, spoiler alert. Too, too far ahead. I think that's chapter six. But In, 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 the, in the Clarkston pageant, we used to refer to Lucy as the, the woman everyone loves to hate because yes. she, she really is a skeptic. I mean, she's tearing up the Smith's home, yes. uh, going through drawers and under beds. And, you know, uh, she, she wants to see. Mm-hmm. I think some of us would feel that way yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and, we? And in her defense, I mean, she is at a point in her life where, you know, her family is stable, financially stable. They're secure. She's got a nice home. Uh, there's a nice farm. And here her husband is, uh, you know, on the brink of risking all of this on the testimony of, of a young man, a, a 20-year-old, right? Yes. Right. Uh, and, I mean, how many of us would be willing to do what Martin does? I right. think a lot more of us would be like Lucy and say, hold on here. Exactly. This is... Right. You know, exactly. think about what you're doing here. There, um, there are some aspects of the way she behaves that I that I don't approve of. Granted, right. yes, she is but a little intense. 
I can I have some sympathy for her. For yeah. sure. Um, for sure. She's been married for a long, long time, and and probably knows aspects of her husband's personality that makes makes her want to be able to say, "Hey, listen, listen to me. I want to have some say in this." Um, so at the same time, going through other people's cupboards is a little exactly. weird. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's that was. Yes, she has a strong personality. Well, and, strong and personality. the book doesn't talk about this too much, but Lucy has a hearing disability, yeah. which I don't know exactly, but I've always felt that 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 had to play into it. You know, she she just can't hear what's going on, and mm-hmm. and and maybe she gets just a little bit paranoid. You know, maybe in part to uh, to placate Lucy, but also for himself. Martin decides to take these characters and to visit some scholars. And let's just listen to a little clip here from the book uh, about that visit. Martin showed him more characters, and Anton examined them. He said they contained characters from many ancient languages and gave Martin a certificate verifying their authenticity. He also recommended that he show the characters to another scholar named Samuel Mitchell, who used to teach at Columbia. He is very learned in these ancient languages, Anton said. And I have no doubt he will be able to give you some satisfaction. Who is this Anthon and and what's Martin doing? So Charles Anthon was a young professor of Latin and Greek at, at Columbia College in New York City, uh, what would be uh, Columbia University today. Uh, so he had just uh, published an encyclopedia on, on ancient languages. He was beginning to... Um, gather stories about Native Americans. And so he was interested in this. He was interested in ancient languages, and he seemed like the kind of guy who would be able to authenticate the characters. And so Martin visited him, and, and as, uh, as we, we know from, from the accounts that have been written, that uh, you know, Martin shows him the characters, uh, and uh, Professor Anthon looks at them, he authenticates them, uh, and just as Mar- he, he writes up uh, a certificate saying basically this is, this is, this is real. Uh, and as Martin's leaving, he asks, uh, Professor Anthon asks him, uh, you know, where did, where did you come across these characters? Yeah, where, where did, the, yeah, where did, where did these come that? from? Mm-hmm. And when he finds out that uh, when he hears the story of Joseph Smith, when he hears the story of the angel, he becomes uh, much more reluctant to, to authenticate anything. And so he actually takes the certificate and tears it up. Uh, and, and invites Martin to bring him the book and uh, so he can translate it. And Martin says, well, that's, that's impossible. You can't see it. And besides, it's sealed. And uh, at that point is when he says, well, I cannot read a sealed book, which when Martin shared the story later with Joseph, uh, Joseph identified as a fulfillment of uh, the prophecy in Isaiah 29 uh, about a sealed book, uh, which cannot be read. Right. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about about Professor Anthon. What did he have to say about this at the time or later? Do we, do we know anything? After this occurred, you know, it was written down. Uh, this was a story that the early saints shared all the time as a way as a way to prove that the Book of Mormon is true. It was an outside evidence of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. So, so many missionaries used it, and it was uh, shared widespread. And, and uh, Professor Anthon heard about this and uh, did not like it. Uh, he was not willing to, to be used as kind of a, a tool for missionaries or, or as a source for, for the, the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. So, uh, you know, throughout his life, he would share the story about Martin Harris with other people, anybody who asked him, whether it was, you know, people looking to discredit Joseph or just friends or students. Uh, he would talk to them, and he would share in some ways the same story, but he, he made a point always 
that uh, he never authenticated the characters. He said uh, in, in his letters, he, he writes that he, he looked at them and immediately knew that they were, that they were a fraud uh, and tried to do all he could to persuade Martin Harris um, not to you know, sell the farm and help Joseph out. He, he said, you're basically, right. you know, you're being, you're being had here. And, and so he, he told that story throughout his life. It directly contradicted Martin Harris's account of the story. It's, it contradicts how, you know, what we believe happened as Latter-day Saints. And, and I, what I think is interesting about this story is that, um, you know, whatever happened between Martin Harris and Charles Anthon, when Martin Harris went back to Harmony, he was all in. He was right. fully ready to give his money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something that happened, you know, w- you know, whatever happened there confirmed to him that these characters were real, that the plates were real, that Joseph was real and honest. And so I, I, think that's, I think that's an important thing to remember. Mm-hmm. And as an academic concerned about his reputation, um, I can see why, after the fact, he would say some of the things that he said um, as a way to say, you know, I am not a part of Joseph Smith and these gold plates. This is, this, I'm not involved in this. But this is also something that he's, he's recollecting years yeah. later. Yeah, what's kind of interesting is in his letters, he, he characterizes both uh, Martin Harris and Joseph very dismissively. You know, he, he calls Martin Harris a simple-minded farmer, that sort of thing. And, and you can tell that he does not want to be associated with this low-class church, these, these farmers, these simple-minded folk. Mm-hmm. I think it's very much a matter of his reputation. He does not want to come across as being had or, or having fallen prey to to, to Mormonism or, or whatever it might be. Just being associated with Just it. Just being associated you know, yeah, with it was not, kind of not really cool to him. Yeah. yeah. Moving on with, this, with the story a little bit, Martin returns, he mortgages the farm. Uh, you know, most of us or a lot, lot of folks will be familiar with that story. He f- agrees to finance the publishing of the Book of Mormon. But before we can get there, we need a, we need a manuscript. And we have a little trouble with Martin and the manuscript. Angela, tell us, tell us that a little bit about that story. Well, Martin wants to take the manuscript to show to people. Um, and this is, this is a story that I think many Latter-day Saints are familiar with, that, that he says to Joseph, can I take this? And it's his only copy. And as a writer, there's a part of me that it just, I just think handing over that manuscript. 116 pages 116 is a pages lot. 116 pages is a lot. <laughs> it's um, a lot. And to hand that over... Um, would be very difficult, and especially when Joseph petitions the Lord and the Lord says no, and then Joseph petitions the Lord again and the Lord says no again. Um, it, it's interesting to me that, that one of the things that the Lord chastises Joseph Smith for after everything transpires is that he is caring more about what others think of him than what the Lord wants him to do. And and he's a young man. Martin Harris is an older man who he's trying to accommodate. Yeah. Um, and and he's basically makes, bankrolling his life exactly. at this point. Exactly. And so he is making compromises that probably a later Joseph Smith, who is more confident in his prophetic role, would not make. Yeah. Um, but he makes he he pushes the Lord and finally gets a reluctant yes and um, and lets Martin have the pages. I think that's you made such a good point. We we tend to forget that Martin's as old as Joseph's dad, and and like Scott said, he's bankrolling his life. You know, he Joseph loves Martin, and he wants so badly to please him, and he really wants to reduce the friction with Lucy, uh, Martin's wife at home, and so he lets him take it, and we're all just like, no, don't do it, you know. 
Of course, we, we know the rest of the story, but at that time, you know, they didn't know. I think it's also important to remember at this point, you know, it's not just that he is, you know, giving up the plates, you know, or giving up the pages um, to Martin. So he's, he's letting go of one thing, but also at the same time, Emma is very, very, very pregnant. So he's also very anxious at this moment, at this time as well. Both he and Emma are anxious because she is about to have their first child. Neither of them have really experienced that before, and so it's 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 a stressful time. And so on, on the one hand, he he's he's saying, you know, Martin is saying, Joseph, let me have the pages. You know, Emma's over here saying, the baby's coming soon. The baby's coming soon. As a young father, he is being pulled from in in every direction, and uh, it's it's a tough time for him. Yeah. So Martin takes the pages. He goes home. He's agreed to return at a certain period of time. He doesn't come back. During that time, uh, as you mentioned, Emma has the baby. Mm -hmm. And what happens? And the baby dies. The baby passes away. So Joseph is in this incredible grief. And Emma's not doing well as either. Uh, either. She is close to death as well. She's mm -hmm. super sick. And Joseph... I think sends a messenger to to go get Martin and tell him please come and tell and bring the manuscript. Martin finally shows up. What what does he tell us, Scott? Yeah. So so basically, what happens is when the baby dies and when uh, and and Emma becomes, uh, you know, deathly sick. Joseph stays with her. He he kind of puts the pages out of his mind for a while, and he just devotes his entire time to Emma and, and helping her out. And finally, Emma says, "Joseph, we need to do something. The plates. It's been more than two weeks now." Uh, we need to find out what happened to these pages. I mean, this is right. their work. Mm -hmm. And this that was striking to yeah. me that She's here the one who's concerned Emma here. has given birth, lost her baby, is on the precipice of death herself. Mm -hmm. And what she says is, I cannot rest yeah. until we find these pages. Yeah. Um, it's, this is such a concern of hers yeah. as well. And so Joseph, he, he makes sure that, that Emma is being taken care of by her mother, and then he goes back to Manchester. And, uh, and then that's, that's where he begins to try to hunt down Martin Harris, and he can't find him. And they invite him to breakfast, and he's like four hours late. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, when he gets there, they, they kind of watch him approaching, and he's, he's walking slowly down the road. You know, he's fiddling with his hat. He's, he's pulling it down over his eyes. And when he finally gets in, everybody can tell that something is wrong. Yeah. And, uh, and then Martin just breaks down and, and, and says, basically, I've, I've lost these pages. And what strikes me, too, is one of the things that Joseph says in that moment is, must I return to my wife with yeah. such a tale? Yeah. Um, showing their, his great concern for her and their partnership in this work. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the last thing anybody wants to do is fail their loved ones. Mm -hmm. And I think at this point, he feels like he has failed everyone, mm -hmm. not just the Lord, but everyone who is dear to him. It's, it's just it's devastating. It is. It's devastating. Listen to this quote from the book. His mother tried to comfort him. She said maybe the Lord would forgive him if he repented humbly. But Joseph was sobbing now, furious at himself for not obeying the Lord the first time. He could barely eat for the rest of the day. He stayed the night and left the next morning for Harmony. As Lucy watched him go, her heart was heavy. It seemed everything they had hoped for as a family, everything that had brought them joy over the last few years, had fled in a moment. This, this is a, a, real, a real devastation, not even just to Joseph and Emma, but to the, the, the whole the entire family. family. 
yeah, because I think it's important to remember that, you know, from day one, you know, as soon as they found out about the plates, about the angel, everybody in the Smith, this Smith family worked together to make it possible for Joseph to get these plates. So they saw it as the work of the family. They saw this as a, a family thing, a family affair. And yeah, and, and when, when he lost the pages, everyone felt it. What I think is interesting is that if you read Joseph's account of this moment, the account he wrote in 1838, it is very, very restrained, very straightforward, very matter of fact. He doesn't provide a lot of details. It's his mother's account that, uh, that shows us the emotional toll that this, this loss took on Joseph and his family, on her as well, on, on his mother. I think it's very interesting that it is his mother's account that gives us so much insight into the depth of his soul, into his psychology, into, into the pain that this caused him as a prophet, and helps us better understand the lesson he learned from it. Absolutely. And really, it's a lesson that we can all learn, right? This is uh, one, one of the things I love about this particular chapter. I mean, it certainly is a low point. I mean, it, this is the lowest of the low in, in, in many ways, but we all have that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, there, don't we all have those days or those weeks or even years when we say, man, everything just blew up? Mm-hmm. And the thing I love about, about saints and this story is we're going to see that Joseph's going to recover. Mm-hmm. The Lord has a plan. Things are going to be okay. Mm-hmm. There's a line that I love from this chapter that says, humble yourself, trust in God, learn from your mistakes. Yeah. And I think that's that's what this episode in Joseph's life teaches him. Thank you so much, Angela and uh, Scott, for being here with us today. As always, you can read more about saints at saints.lds.org. You can read the story in the church history section of the Gospel Library app. And you can subscribe to this podcast and many others at the Mormon Channel. Thank you. I'm Ben Godfrey. Thanks for joining us today for Saints. And don't forget to read more of this historical narrative on LDS.org or on your Gospel Library app. Join us again for our next episode, where we'll once again discover fascinating insights of church history found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the Latter Days. See you next time.